Well, good morning, Crosstown. Mayan, just want to double check, guys. Mayan, check, check, check. Good. Well, good morning again. Say it again. Thank you. Uh, if you're new, my name is Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here. And I definitely want to welcome all of our campuses, only in Arcade, Shingle House, and Wellsville, and also our online viewers. We're so glad that you guys are with us. We're in part three of our current message series on the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter five today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open that up to chapter five. You'll also be able to view the scripture on the screen. And today in chapter five, we're going to see Jesus picking his team. Jesus picks his team. And specifically, we're going to see the kind of people that Jesus chooses for his team and uses for his mission. And I hope, my prayer is that uh, as we look at the characters and setting of this story, you'll be able to get to see your story and theirs as well. Uh, for example, we're going to look at a guy named Simon, whose name was later changed by Jesus to be Peter. If you know Peter, he's one of the most influential disciples in all the New Testament church. Uh, he is literally the leader of the church. He's the rock in which Jesus builds his church. But here's what I want you to see. It didn't start out that way for Peter. Uh, Peter was just an ordinary guy, an ordinary fisherman. He's not an all-star. He's not a world changer. Just an ordinary fisherman that God used and everything changed the moment that Jesus stepped into his life. He goes from ordinary fisherman to bold preacher, where in Acts chapter 2, we see thousands upon thousands of people give their life to Jesus because of what God did through him. And one of the big things that I want you to see today is that no matter who you are, no matter what your past is, that God can use you. You might not think that God can use you, but he can use you if you'll get your mind wrapped around these principles that we're going to talk about from Peter's story and in Luke chapter 5. So uh, last week, if you remember, we looked at the duel in the desert, right? Jesus versus his adversary, Satan. We saw that Jesus was hungry. You would be hungry too. He didn't eat for 40 straight days. He's hungry. He's isolated. He's tempted, but yet he's able to overcome Satan's playbook by relying on the Holy Spirit and relying on God's word every step of the way. He exits the desert into Galilee, and he starts his earthly ministry, depending on the Holy Spirit, every step of the way. And what we see in chapter 5 from chapter 4 is that he goes from being isolated to being surrounded. He goes from being isolated, alone in the desert, being tempted by the devil, to being surrounded by crowds of people who want to hear him teach, want to hear him preach, want to see him do miracles, see him perform all these wonderful deeds. And in it, God teaches us a very valuable lesson. One of the things I want you to notice is this, that Jesus is more interested in building a team than drawing a crowd. He's not interested in building a huge fan base of people. He's interested in calling followers to himself to live on mission and to be a part of his team. And he invites you and I to be a part of his mission and to be a part of his team. Uh, if, if, if I said Jesus is starting to pick his team, I don't know if you remember the days where in gym class there would be the choosing of teams. Remember those? Some of you have to rewind the tape quite a while. But this awkward moment in school where you'd have two captains, and they still do this a little bit today, where they have two people and they would choose teams, and one person would be inevitably the person chosen last. Maybe that was you. I'm sorry for that, that you had to go through that grueling experience. But uh, if you're like me, though, I'm a pretty competitive person. If we're choosing teams, I want to win. If we're choosing teams, 
I'm picking the best and the brightest. I'm picking the strongest and the most capable. I'm picking the awesome and the able, okay? If we're playing cornhole, I'm picking Ian Ryan and Doug Walsh from our Wellsville campus. We will win, okay? If we're playing football, my number one draft pick is Pastor Tim Taylor from the Shingle House campus. He's like Gronk. Just picture Gronkowski. That's Pastor Tim Taylor, right? If we're playing any board game in the history of mankind, I'm choosing probably Jonathan Greeson, and we'll get it done. Right, Jason? We'll win, right? If we're shooting traps, I'm going with Pastor Stu. I don't know if you know this, but Pastor Stu's son, Dylan, can shoot traps. I've also heard that Lauren Atwater from our arcade campus is a really good shooter as well. Why would You might not even know who these people are, but why would I choose them? Because I want to win! And that's how I choose my team. I choose the best, the brightest, the smartest, the most capable people. And yet, when you look at the story of the New Testament, that's not how Jesus chooses his team. Jesus chooses the rejects. He chooses the outcasts. He chooses the sinners. He chooses the ordinary Peters. And I think one of the reasons why he does that is because when he does it, he gets all the glory. That in our weakness, his strength shines through. Amen, church? And so we're thankful for that. So here in Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus pick his first round draft pick. With the first pick in this year's NFL draft, Jesus, Team Jesus selects Simon Peter? Really? The guy who's constantly putting his foot in his mouth? The guy who has a short fuse? The guy who's just an ordinary fisherman? Doesn't have an edu- he doesn't come from an educated background? That's the guy that Jesus chooses to change the world? And the answer is yes. When you look at Peter's life, you don't see anything special about Peter until the day when Jesus comes into his life and literally changes everything. Everything changes for Peter that day. And if you're wondering, well, what in the world does this have to do with me? What, is in, the wor- what in the world does this have to do with you? What in the world does this have to do with our lives? Well, if you're anything like anybody else in this room, you've probably asked this question at some point in your life in some form or fashion. Here's the question. Could God really use a person like me? Could God really use a person like me? Jesus, is there any room on your team for someone like me with a past, with some shame and some sin? If you only knew my story, I would be cut from the team. I would be the last one picked. We're going to look at this question and answer it. Could God really use a person like me? The good news for us is that that's exactly who Jesus specializes in using. He specializes in using ordinary people for extraordinary purposes. So let's jump into Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. You'll see this on the screen. On one occasion, the Bible, Luke's recording this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him. So again, he's going from isolation to a huge mass of people following him around. To hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. That's an important detail we'll come back to in just a moment. Uh, Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, this is Peter, he he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, Consider what is happening here in this moment. The the request that Jesus just made, it seems rather reasonable to me. Didn't catch any fish, so go out again, let down your nets. After all, if you don't first succeed, what do you do? You try, try, try again. Except when you understand conventional wisdom, there's an appropriate ideal time to catch fish. And you know what? 
This was not it. This was not it. You see, back in that day, uh, nets were very clunky. Uh, today, they'll probably have like more invisible nets, very thin nets. So they can do the job. But back then, it was a very clunky net. And so experienced fishermen knew that the best time of day to catch fish wasn't the day at all. It was actually nighttime when the fish couldn't see that net. And so the very fact that these fishermen were out of the boat, and what were they doing? The Bible says that they were washing their nets, meant that they were done for the day. They'd put their time in. They, they couldn't catch any fish. They were moving on. And Jesus says, well, wait a minute. Why don't you go try it again? Again, it seems very reasonable on the service, but in conventional wisdom, this is not the most ideal time to catch fish. Uh, this was not the time to grab their gear and to go back out. This was the time to kick up their feet and watch the Bills demolish the Patriots. 47 to 17. Amen? Yes. Okay. But yet, here's what Jesus says. No, I want you to do it again. I want you to go out into the sea. I want you to go out into the deep. And I want to let down, I want you to let down your nets. Now, at this point, Peter's got two responses. He's got two options. He can either say, listen, Jesus, I'm the experienced fisherman here. I've been fishing this lake for years. I've gone out on hundreds of trips. We're not catching anything. We've tried. I'm going home. Or Peter could say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put out into the deep again. I'm going to let down my net. Here's how he responds in verse 5. And Simon answered, Master, this is an important phrase, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down my nets. I will let down the nets. So here's the question. Could God really use a person like me? Could God really use a person like you? And the answer is yes, but in order to do so, we have to become like Peter. We have to, number one, here's our first point, we have to be someone who takes Jesus at his word. Let's be a church that, regardless whether things add up on paper, regardless whether it makes sense in conventional wisdom, regardless of what culture is saying, we look at the Bible and we say, Jesus, at your word, I will let down my net. Doesn't make sense. I toiled all day and toiled all night. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. I'm trying my hardest. But at your word, Jesus, I will let down my nets. Here's why this is such an important time in Peter's journey with Jesus. This is a time where Peter begins to learn obedience. This is the time where Peter really learns the importance of obedience. And the truth is, if you're a disciple of Jesus, there comes a point in your life where you learn the importance and value of simply taking God at his word and obeying him. Uh, Peter knew the likelihood of catching fish after a night of catching none was slim to none. But yet here's what he did. He obeyed. And because Peter obeyed, he, was, he had a front row seat to the power of God. And here's the power of God. We read it in verse 6 and 7. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. So much so that the Bible says, Luke records this, that their nets were breaking. And I love this little detail in verse 7. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. Hey, I got too many fish. Bring your boat over. And that's exactly what they did. They came and filled both boats, so they began to sink. Can you imagine this scene? This isn't some, some ordinary situation. You get two boats sinking. They're starting to sink because there's so much fish in them. This is a very powerful sign of God. And what's interesting, when you consider what's happening in this story, there are so many reasons for Peter not to take Jesus at his word, right? There's so much rationale going on in his head that would say, I don't, I don't think this is the right move here. 
And what's interesting, it parallels how we rationalize often in our own lives as well. Obeying Jesus was for Peter and is for us three things, and I want to share this with you. Obeying Jesus is costly. It's always going to cost you something. They just got done with a 12-hour shift. They're washing their nets. They're done with the day. And for them to go out to sea again would cost them time. It would cost them energy. It would cost them money. It would probably cost them part of their reputation. It's always costly, which leads to the second thing obeying Jesus is, and it's humbling. It's humbling. Um, Where are the people? Where are the people that were just listening to Jesus around the shore? He's in the boat. He's teaching them around the shore. Where, Where are those people now? They're still there. What would people think to see an experienced fisherman who had spent all night trying to catch fish but caught none, all of a sudden follow a carpenter son of all people out to sea? That would be a little humbling for Peter, wouldn't it? And yet one of the most required ingredients that we see in following Jesus is humility. You, You can't come to Jesus without being humbled. Because the Bible says that God opposes the proud. And then obeying Jesus is number three. It's, it's finally, it's, it's risky. It's risky. It's costly, it's humbling, it's risky. Here's, here's Jesus, or Peter, the experienced fisherman, the skilled expert, but yet when he looks at his master, you notice that word master? He says, you're the expert. He comes to the point where he yields his will to the will of the master and puts his life in his hands and literally is willing to leave everything and follow this Jesus, this master of his. So it's costly, it's humbling, it's risky. As I said, you and I are, are faced with the same excuses. Some of us know a lot about the Bible. We've read the Bible, some a little bit about the Bible. At least you have some verses that you've heard of. You kind of know the Ten Commandments. You know what God's word says, but we're still responding with, yeah, but it's costly. It's going to cost me something. It's going to be a little bit humiliating. It's going to be a little bit risky for me to do what you're asking me to do. You can respond that way, but you'll miss out on seeing the power of God work in and through your life if we don't submit in obedience and take God at his word. So let me ask you a question. Where do you need to let down your net? Where do you need to let down your net in your life? Where is God asking you through his word, through conviction of the Holy Spirit, through what you know to be true of what he said? Where is he asking you to simply obey, but your answer is no? Where is he asking you to kind of let go? Because we all have some things in our life that God wants us to let go of that we're holding on to. It's called sin. And I don't need to get into specifics. I just say it and the Spirit convicts you. Something that you've been holding on to that you're not going to let go. Where is he asking you to do that, but you've said no? Or maybe, where is God asking you to kind of, to use the words of the Bible, to put out into the deep? To trust God for some divine or ordained opportunities that he is setting you up for. That's going to that's gonna include some faith on your behalf. But you're saying, no, I, I can't do that. It's going to be too costly. It's too risky. And I'm going to have to humble myself in order to do that. If we choose to not take Jesus at his word, We'll simply miss out on the good things that God wants to do in our lives. And he doesn't want that for us. Listen, if you're anything like me, I've dropped the ball plenty of times. I've made mistakes. I've sinned. I've messed up. I've dropped the ball. But I don't want to be a person that doesn't drop my net, that misses out on the opportunities that what God wants to do in my life. So 
the question again is, could God really use a person like me? Could God really use a person like you? And the answer is yes, if you will simply be a person like Peter who hears the master's voice and simply takes him at his word. And number two, like Peter, we're someone who sees themselves as a sinner first. Are you willing to see yourself first as a sinner? Here's what Luke chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 says. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken in. Peter is recognizing something very important in the midst of this miracle, and that is this. God is big, he's not. God is strong, he is weak. God is wholly different than him. He is wholly set apart. And the only reasonable response, the only reasonable posture to take is what the verse just said. He falls at the knees of, knees of Jesus and he surrenders. It's a, it's a posture of repentance. It's a, a posture of humility. Um, like Isaiah says, hundreds of years prior, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Think about your own story when you became a Christian. At some point in your life, you felt the weight of your own sin. You felt the pending consequences of that sin and judgment. And you felt your need for forgiveness. Anyone who enters into the kingdom of God has a posture and, and, a, and, and, a, and a kind of a, a sense about them of their own sin and their own need for forgiveness. And so maybe the best thing some of you can pray today is simply this. God, help me for I'm a sinner. Maybe the best thing some of you could do is simply this. Come to God as you are, not what you wish you were. Simply bring all your problems, your troubles, your trials, your pain, your sin, everything in the past, you bring it to God now. Not waiting to clean yourself up one day and become some, someone that you hope you wish you could be. Contrary to what some people would have you believe, coming to Jesus with a posture of humility, saying, Jesus, I'm, I'm in a bad place. I'm addicted, I'm hurting, I'm, I'm angry, I'm, I'm a mess, I'm not worthy of your love, I've messed up, I'm self-centered, I'm so focused on the treasures and pleasures of this world. Coming to Jesus in a point where you're humble enough to admit that, that's not a bad place to be. It's a difficult place to get to, but it's not a bad place to be because it's a place where you experience God's grace. It's the posture of humility that allows us to come to God, not as we are, but not actually what we are, but not as what we wish we were. It's the posture of humility that allows us to cry out to God in our brokenness and find healing, to find forgiveness, to find a sense of purpose in this life. Even in your own season of life, no matter what age you are, you can find purpose in Jesus. So the question, could God really use a person like me? The, the answer is absolutely. If you're someone who takes Jesus at his word, if you're someone who sees themselves as a sinner first, and then finally, number three, if you're someone who lives on mission, be someone who lives on mission, which comes out of a heart of a sense that you're, you're at peace with God first and foremost. Look what it says in verse 10 and 11. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee. This is a comment about everybody else being astonished. And they said also James and John were astonished, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon specifically, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Peter doesn't have to be afraid anymore because he knows this one truth that God is for him. God is for him. This Jesus who he's talking to rightfully is the judge who punishes sin, but he's also the one that brings peace between people and God. And so he can walk forward with a sense of purpose and mission because he knows that God is not against him. He doesn't have to be retreat. 
He can move forward in faith because he knows that God is for him. And then he has this phrase, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Or another translation says, you'll be fishers of men. I love the analogy that Jesus uses for Peter, the fisherman. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything. Get that. They left everything. Dragged the boat to land. Basically walks away from his father's business, his way of making money, and he goes to follow Jesus. Good trade? Very good trade. And he follows Jesus. Crosstown, I hope you understand that the culture of our church is not that we're perfectly polished people who do great things for God. That's not us. The culture of our church is that we're misfits, outcast sinners who happen to be cleaned up by the grace of God, and he lifts us up and he sends us out to be fishers of men. For those of you who feel um, pretty beaten up maybe by Satan and, and sin this week, maybe you're struggling, maybe you're feeling like you just can't go on one more day, I hope you'll reread this passage this week. I hope that you'll see a God who welcomes the weak, who doesn't shame the humble, but he invites every single one of us into his story to live on mission, to be a part of catching men, women, and children by the grace of God that has caught us. Crosstown, the good news of the Bible isn't just that Jesus offers forgiveness of sin. The good news of the Bible is that that's good, but he also invites us through a gracious God He invites us to be a part of his team and his mission to live for his purpose. It's unfortunate, though, that some of you have taken him up only on half of the offer. You just want that forgiveness, get out of hell hell free card, but you don't want to live for Jesus. Here's the big idea I want you to get from today's message. It's this. If you don't give your life to, to the mission of Jesus, you will give your life to a thousand lesser things. If you're not really sold out to what God says in his Bible, you'll end up giving your life to a thousand lesser things. And how sad would it be to come to the end of your life and realize that you've given yourself a lot, you've given yourself away to a lot of different things that really didn't matter. The invitation that was extended to Peter is the same invitation that is extended to you and to me today. Now that we've received the grace of God, we get to live beyond ourselves for something greater than ourselves. Live for being fishers of men, women, and children, so that they too can be caught up by the grace of God. Uh, If you're looking for a place to start, this was challenging to me because as a pastor, you get the responsibility to care for a lot of different people, but yet God was convicting me this week, like I have fish in my own backyard, my family, right? Men, moms, we have a pond right in the backyard that we're responsible to love, serve, care for, to show the grace of God to to raise up and to train up with the scriptures in a culture that feeds our kids' lies. Go fishing. Do a good job. Um, College students, let me just say, God did not put you on that campus specifically just to prepare for a career. He wants you to be fishers of men where you're at right now. At RIT, we got kids in Alfred, St. Bonaventure. You are surrounded by a bunch of people who don't know the truth, that don't have the grace of God, And you need to be able to speak out to them, live a life of love towards them so that they'll lean in and want to have a conversation with you. Even though kids from Houghton, we have tons of kids from Houghton that attend our arcade campus. Even those kids need Jesus, right? These kids that come from church homes, they need Jesus too. Live on mission, accept that invitation for you. 
For those of you who have jobs, please understand that your purpose is not just to pay the bills, put food on the table, and buy, uh, get more money to buy nice, shiny things. That's not it. You're invited to be a part of your job workforce, to live with such integrity, to, to, to work so hard, to love people around you so that other people will say, what, what's that about you? I want to know more. And you'll have the opportunity to show that grace to other people. Imagine if every single one of us, imagine if every single one of us lived with the sense of calling that Peter embraced in that first century. What would our church look like in 22 at the end of the year? How many people would be welcomed into the family of God? How many people would be baptized? How many people would be helped and served? How many churches could we plant in the years to come? How many people who are teenagers would turn from evil ways and actually embrace God as their number one pursuit? Imagine if every single one of us who calls Crosstown their home would take this mission seriously to go be fishers of men, women, and children. I don't know what your story is, but I know I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for someone who was an earth science teacher 25 years ago taking this mission very seriously to be fishers of men. A guy introduced himself, played basketball with me, shared the truth of the gospel, how he was changed by the gospel, and how my life could be changed. My life has never been changed or never been the same since. Peter was a fisher of men. You think about thousands of other people who could connect their story with a guy who was courageous enough to share the gospel with other people. And my assumption is you're here today because someone shared the good news with you as well. Be a fisher of men. All it takes is one person to be used by God. Here's the good news. You don't need to be the smartest. You don't need to be the brightest. You don't need to be the strongest. You don't need to be the most capable. You don't have to be the best. You don't have to have a perfect pass or have the best degree. You don't need any of those things. Here's what you need. Like Peter, you need, to be, you need to be someone who takes Jesus at his word and obeys. Like Peter, you need to see yourself as a sinful man and woman who needs God's forgiveness. And like Peter, you need to be someone who receives the peace of God and chooses to live on mission. Imagine if we did that, church, in 2022. Would our church look different? Would this community look different? I think so. I think we should follow Peter's lead. I want to invite all of our uh, worship lead teams to come up as we uh, close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for um, your word. It reminds us that you, you, you used the least of these, the people that you chose for your team thousands of years ago. We can enter into their story, Lord. We can see ourselves as imperfect people who needed the grace of God, who were passionate enough to live for your purposes on this earth so that other people could experience that grace. And I pray for our, our church family that, um, that we would take your word seriously, God. That we would learn to submit to your word in obedience, what it says. We listen to it even when culture says differently. We would be people who uh, don't live out of, of pride but humility that, that asks and confess our sin and asks for forgiveness. And that we would be people who take your calling seriously, the Great Commission, to go make disciples of every nation, teaching them to obey everything that you have commanded them. Now, there's so few Christians that take that seriously, and I'm often, I'm often needing a reminder as well, Lord, that it happens where we're at. We don't need to go across the world to do this. We can do this in our own backyard. So help us do this now. Help us live on mission for your glory as a part of your team. And it's in Jesus' name I ask this. Amen.